You're listening to Apollo 11 Legacies, a series of podcasts produced through a partnership with Intuitive Research and Technology Corporation and WHNT News 19. You know, Alan Shepard launches on a vehicle that has 78,000 pounds of thrust. The Saturn V has 7.5 million pounds of thrust. The complexity and the problem solving that gets you from one point to another is incredible. Every, every day people show up to work at Marshall and they learn something new because learning that new thing is going to make this possible. You're listening to NASA historian Brian Odom from Marshall Space Flight Center. I'm Steve Johnson, and this is the second of two conversations with Brian about the Apollo program and Apollo 11 moon mission. They were recorded in the studio at WHNT News 19. We begin with the Apollo 1 cabin fire in 1967 that killed astronauts Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee. And that was a tragedy that sort of brought things to a stop. It did. There was a major investigation into understanding what exactly it was that had happened. Now, they knew there were certain issues that they were dealing with. They had a 100% pure oxygen environment, and that created a situation which they understood. But to mediate that or to fix that problem basically added a complexity. It added weight. And so there were different trade-offs, not trade-offs with safety, but with the design of that. But I think you're right. The investigation really was a full stop, and it really was a look at where what we've done where we're going and ensure this is uh, to put human beings on the moon and those human beings in the loop, it's critical that safety become paramount. And Jim Webb led that investigation, NASA led that investigation looking into all different aspects of that and it really was thorough. Yeah, and Congress got involved. There were two separate congressional investigations. This is the first time and this has happened (laughs) since then, of course. Sure. But uh, that made it difficult and no launches for 20 months. And that's a long time. And when you're talking about getting to the end of the decade, right, you've made this national, this the national goal. And if, you know, these investigations stop what we're doing or if this, you know, goes on too long, we might miss that decade. But sacrificing safety was never going to be a concern. But it was moving ahead and it was a delay. But I think it came out the other side much stronger. Okay, so we go 20 months and we finally have another launch. And I, well, I believe this one was manned the, the next time we launched, am I correct? No, Apollo 4 was okay. the unmanned okay. first launch of the Saturn V, November 1967. Uh, and that launch was flawless. I mean, you know, people looked at that as, oh, they couldn't believe it had been you know, to that successful. Uh, but the next launch of the Saturn V, of course, that Apollo 6, not quite so much. Okay, while we're talking about launching Apollo, uh, the Saturn Vs, we launched several times with Apollo 1 to, to get the capsule into orbit the, the, and, and, and to test docking and all these things. So the Saturn 1 and Saturn 1B also developed at Marshall yes. uh, had a lot to do with the Apollo 11 mission. They did. They were incredibly instrumental in the success of that program and it was a design that was very unique. The, a lot of the Redstone work that had been done here, the Jupiter C work that had been done here, and the work for the Mercury Redstone program, basically they said how can we develop a clustered system and learn about that? Well, being in Alabama, these guys said, you know what we'll do? use what you got and that's what they did they took those redstone tanks and that jupiter tank you're talking about the redstone missile Redstone missile. yeah what had been developed both had been developed under the army clustered them together and really learned how uh to to accomplish that fact because as you remember most engines to this point had been one you know most vehicles have been one engine now you're going to cluster these engines and working through those problems it creates a multitude of problems but 
the Saturn One and eventually the Saturn One B worked that development out. Yeah, and, and this is one of those things that kind of points back to the Army starting all this with the Redstone and the launch of, of Explorer. Uh, having the fact that the folks who did that for the Army were now the folks doing it at Marshall was, it was a big deal. Exactly. They'd spent a whole decade by that point learning the hard lessons of rocketry, learning how to refine these systems and how to make these systems safe. So the Army's heritage there, that whole decade of experience and having that team, that 4,700 people transfer to Marshall in 1960, that knowledge base was critical in the jump start. And that's actually what it was that had given Kennedy the, the idea that any of this was possible because he could lean on that experience. So definitely the Army's experience was critical. You're listening to a conversation with NASA historian Brian Odom. We'll return to that in just a moment. Let's get back to our conversation with NASA historian Brian Odom. Anytime you put people in the loop, that creates a situation of just anxiety, right, in, in all sides. Because, you know, if you fail without humans in the loop, it's, it's one thing. But yeah. obviously, Apollo 1 had taught them that that was going to be critical. So moving forward in the Apollo manned missions, uh, you know, those took on a different form of anxiety. Those took on a different form of anticipation and a different level of ensuring that everything was going to work as it was. And remember, when you, by the time you get to the Saturn V, and the first man launch of the Saturn V, of course, was Apollo 8. Uh, and that's a situation in which you've had problems in the past, but getting all of those millions of parts together at that one time and ensuring that they're all going to be, the quality and control is, is effective. And that was going forward, that was always one of Marshall's key roles, is ensuring that that process worked as well as it could. And and that was a very important piece. Okay, before we talk any more about Apollo 8, something you said, I know that there were millions of parts on the, uh, it was the most complex machine ever designed exactly. to that point. And uh, there, there was a, they allowed for a 10% failure rate or something like right. ridiculous <laughs> like that. Well, so there was enough redundancy built in that all kinds of things could fail and we'd still be able to go. Exactly. Redundancy was key because in, in particular pieces, you know, some parts are more important than yeah, others, yeah. right? Uh, things like the engines. If the engines fail, that gives you a, a different set of problems. So, and there are particular parts of that where you want that redundancy backed in. If something you know, it happens and unfortunately we lose an engine. Can we still continue with, other, with the rest of the engines that we have? And that's something that Apollo 6, in its failure, in its test failure, had actually proved out was going to work. So, that's right, yeah. Yeah, these people are thinking ahead in, in every conceivable way of what might happen. Now, that's, that takes time. You know, it takes time and it takes effort. It takes resources to make sure that happened. But Kennedy, you know, to his credit, made the goal, and he also backed it up with the resources that made all of these things possible. Okay, so let's go to Apollo 8, which I've had a couple of uh, veteran guys from out there say, say Apollo 11 was great, but Apollo 8 was the most important mission we ever flew. Why, why would they say that? Well, Apollo 8 proved out every piece of the system with human beings in the loop. Now, Apollo 8 is, you know, it was the pressure from Apollo 6, the, the problems there, uh, but it was Apollo 8 that actually gets to that lunar vicinity, right? It's yeah. the Saturn V has delivered on all parts. First stage fires, second stage, third stage, the restart of that stage to put you in that lunar, on that lunar trajectory. And that's what Marshall was responsible for. And now humans are in the loop. And for the first time we've done that. And it's, it was an incredible thing. And yeah, you're exactly right. People that I talk to all the time, they, I had one person actually tell me, you know, it, it doesn't get boring after Apollo 8, obviously, because it's still a very complex system. But after then, they 
they proved that they could be successful. Yeah, they, they knew that they could. I mean, because, you know, and then after uh, Apollo 8, did we orbit the moon again before Apollo 11? I believe we did. We, we did. Yeah, we did. Uh, Apollo 10 yeah. was actually uh, basically a, a rehearsal for yeah. that. Uh, so you, you do everything that you would have done for a landing on the moon except actually land on the moon. And Stafford and Cernan, they're lowered down in that lunar module. And right before they touch ground, uh, and you, a guy like Cernan, you could imagine he was probably anticipating, you know, <laughs> okay, <laughs> getting you know, back there. You know, something that, that, that struck me is, okay, we, we have the disaster of Apollo 1. We go 20 months. So the next launch is in the fall, late fall of, of, uh, of 68. But between then and July of 69, we launched a bunch of rockets. I mean, it was like it felt like just reading about it. It was every couple of weeks. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, it, it, it adds an element of routineness to it. You know, we talk about the space shuttle and, you know, how there was this element of what might be routine. But I think for the people on the ground, you know, something like that was never going to be routine. While the frequency of them may be increasing, all of these things are testing out f things for the very first time. Yeah. And so there are these series of firsts within that system. And that's something that the, uh, you know, the, the, the guys and gals working at Marshall, they were intensely watching. So yeah, the frequency is, is, is gets to be incredible at some point. We'll return to our conversation with NASA historian Brian Odom from Marshall Space Flight Center in a moment. More now from our conversation with NASA historian Brian Odom. How confident was the team by then? Well, I think all of those earlier missions, you know, from Apollo 4 forward, they'd proved out that system. They'd proved out that the Saturn V worked as they anticipated. All of these tests that we talked about last time that were so important, learning to fail on the ground, the failures, the tests that were done here, you know, just redundant testing and testing and testing. But that, that allowed for, you know, that confidence when this is it, we're gonna go. It's not going to be us, right? That Saturn V is going to work perfectly, and it and it did on that mission as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, before we actually talk about the landing, the the lunar lander, the ascender, mm -hmm. one engine, and it either works or it doesn't. It does. In fact, I, I read uh, where they made it as simple as they possibly could, so there so there was less to go wrong. That had to have been a weird feeling, knowing hey, if this doesn't work. There's nothing we can do. Oh, yeah. You've got, you literally have astronauts on the moon, and there's nothing you can do. In fact, uh, President Nixon had written, uh, you, know, you may know about this, he'd written a, a, a letter, basically, for failure that was never put out, obviously, yeah. but that letter exists. You know, there are human beings now on the moon, and when we look at that moon, we'll remember, you know, how important their sacrifice was to, to humanity. And I think that speaks to that single point failure. If, if something goes wrong with that or any other piece of this landing, it's, it's visible and the world is watching. I mean, this is where we, I feel like we ought to stop and just talk about the incredible feat of doing this in nine years. Well, work that actually began yeah. in the 50s, but doing this in a limited number of years and every single thing along the way had never been done before. Exactly. Uh, you know, Alan Shepard launches on a vehicle that has 78,000 pounds of thrust. The Saturn V has 7.5 million pounds of thrust. The complexity and the problem solving that gets you from one point to another is incredible. Every, every day people show up to work at Marshall and they learn something new because learning that new thing is going to make this possible. 
in that series of, uh, of discoveries throughout there. And it's just challenging and people worked, you know, 12 hour days, you know, seven days a week trying to make sure that it's not going to be me. All right. The Apollo 11 launch in July, July 16th, I believe. July 16th. Okay. That's the big deal here. I mean, the right. moon landing is great, but the big deal here is launching that yeah. rocket. Yeah, see that powerful vehicle deliver on that, on that national promise. So, you know, people uh, around the world were waiting for that landing on the moon. But, yeah, the people here, the, the people who showed up every day to work, you know, uh, that's our part. We're going to hand that off to someone else eventually. Uh, hand it off to Johnson to work their end of the issue, and they worked it incredibly as well. But, yeah, uh, but I think there was still this incredible sense here of, what they'd done and what they'd achieved and and just to see you know neil armstrong step out i think you know uh, that that resonated with people in the the dancing in the streets here in town the celebrations that went on forever you know the von brown on the you know courthouse steps telling people you know just you know what they already knew of yeah. just how big this was and you know and, and and the fact that all these all this work was done for a decade, mm -hmm. to say it, a decade, that that culminated in, in the most incredible first of its kind success. Uh, I got to believe, uh, you know, that that's like that's a career moment. Now, you know, for a lot of the the Germans, of course, they've been working on missiles and rockets since the the 30s. Yeah, sure. But but this was a culmination of, of decades of work, yeah. and it, there really couldn't be much better culmination. Exactly, and that's what they dreamed about, right? The Germans who were working yeah. on, you know, in their 30s, in the late 20s and 30s, when they're working on small, solid rockets, this was always their dream. So they'd planned for this forever, uh, and they shared that experience with the. the Americans that they mentored yeah. once they got here and so yeah the enthusiasm that they had that 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 this work was you know it's cutting edge but it's a it's a technological marvel you know uh, for for everyone and I think they all recognize that okay Any, anybody ever tell you anything about the, the Apollo 11 mission that you could <laughs> share that just is striking to you and I we haven't chatted oh, uh, about this so, yeah uh, besides just the incredible feeling that we did it and and you know I think from a historical perspective, I think what I'm always blown away, away by is the international elements of this. Yeah. You know, from in, back to Apollo 8, actually, you know, when we had proved that out in that Earthrise photo, one of Johnson's last acts was to send the Earthrise photo to leaders around the world. And one of those leaders was Ho Chi Minh, who we were at war with in North yeah. Vietnam. Uh, Ho Chi Minh actually responds with a letter saying how impressed he was by this, you know. In Apollo 11's case, you have people tell me all the time, you know, I went to, in fact, I just interviewed someone yesterday, and they yeah. told me after the, the launch, I, was, I had a flight, and we left and went to Italy. And I went over there, and, you know, everything was, they, they were like, where's your passport? And I said, well, I'm an American. And I said, uh, you know, oh, oh, you're an American. You know, you, you work for the, you know, on this. <laughs> Did you do, have something to do with that? And he, and he told him about that, and he's like, oh, no, no, no problem, you know. And, you know, people being in bars in Czechoslovakia where, you know, when this landing happens, where there's just these explosions of excitement. And I think that all, you know, we look at it as an American accomplishment, and it definitely was, without a doubt, without Kennedy and without the great yeah. people here working on it. But Internationally, I, I'm always blown away by those stories of, yeah. of just how well, big this was. And very, very quickly, Gary sure. Zank, a professor at UAH, who's actually working on radiation issues for, you know, for, for exactly. NASA now. Mm -hmm. uh, he said he was inspired to do what he does, be yeah. a, phys a physicist dealing with radiation, because 
watching this on television in South Africa. Exactly, and that's what NASA continues to do today, yeah. right? I mean, this, this getting young people inspired to do big yeah. things, to solve those next big problems, to understand the next big discovery in science and engineering. I mean, that's what Apollo did more than anything. It was a national investment in the future of the country from an engineering and science perspective, something that the Soviets had proven that they had actually already learned, right? Because they were beating at, the th at these little pieces, and maybe that wasn't exactly the case, but America recovered, America responded, and then engineers and scientists across the country really benefiting from that. You've been listening to a conversation with NASA historian Brian Odom. It's the second of two podcasts on the Apollo program and the Apollo 11 moon mission with Brian. We invite you to listen to our other podcasts on this subject and more as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. Go to the Apollo 11 tab at the top of our website, whnt.com. That's where you'll also find other interesting items on North Alabama's contribution to America's manned spaceflight history. Apollo 11 Legacies is produced in partnership with Intuitive Research and Technology. Content made possible with the U.S. Space and Rocket Center's Legacy Panel Lecture Series. Music provided by Megatracks.